0: As you look on the power, power screen point screen there, as you see, you've got some excerpts taken from Judges chapter 3, and that pretty much sums up uh, the, the whole theme of the book of Judges, you know, where it, you have, for example, in verse 7, okay, the sons of Israel did evil. Uh, The anger of the Lord then is kindled, uh, and then thirdly, when the sons of Israel cried to their Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer, and so that becomes the well-known cycle of the book of Judges. And so we began last week looking at some of those Judges, and we focused on two of them, the first two, Othniel and Ehud, Uh, after an uh, eight-year Mesopotamian uh, oppression, Othniel, is, you know, is, is chosen by God to deliver them from that oppression, and so then they have some rest for 40 years. They go back to, you know, to sinning against God, and so you have an 18-year period where now it's the Moabites uh, and that are oppressing the land, and so they turn to God, and God raises up Ehud, and he delivers them from their oppressors, and then you have an 80-year uh, period of rest, you know, the, the map you know, somewhat tries to kind of show some of the regions from where uh, the, the oppressors came from, the arrows you know, you know, from the south and the, the west and the east, you know, where you've got the countries of Moab, Ammon, Edom, Philistines, all of those are various oppressors in the southern region you know, that God used as a means of discipline, as a means of, of chastising his disobedient children. Yeah, we had to end before we really finished off with the last verse of Judges 3, where you've got the third judge mentioned, and that is Shamgar. And we, we just don't know very much about him. You know, we don't even know from which tribe he was from. We're told that he was the son of Anath uh, and that God used him. Uh, God, you know, raised him up to be a deliverer unto Israel you know, in freeing them and from, from some kind of oppression you know, from the hands of the Philistines. And we're told that you know, with an ox goad, uh, he actually killed 600 Philistines. Sounds very similar to another judge later on in dealing with the Philistines when you talk about Samson. And so, you know, kind of a very similar scenario. But just, you know, you think about the idea how you know, God uses Shamgar in this way you know, to deliver them from oppression, being you know, at the hands of the Philistines. But God doesn't need an army every time. You know, you know, he can use one man and still ac- accomplish his purpose. And you see that with Shamgar. You see that God uses one man, his ability to wield an ox goad, and he's able to basically you know, deliver them, provide them some kind of deliverance from this oppression that is coming at the hands of the Philistines. The Philistines are actually first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis 10, you know, where they are in basically a genealogy of nations. So that's the very first time the nation of the Philistines is mentioned. And this becomes the very kind of the first time where the Philistines are going to become, uh, you know, that thorn in the flesh to them, that, you know, they are going to become an enemy of God's people and they're going to be a problem and a reoccurring problem for, for a number of years. And so here we're introduced to them as being instruments you know, for God's discipline. But it's interesting to think about, you know, Shamgar is mentioned in the Song of Deborah. And I kind of want to, you want to very quickly you know, have you kind of turn a page or two in your Bible and look, look in verse 6. Yeah, it, so it really, it tells us this, this portion of the song gives us some insight. So in Judges chapter 5, verse 6, you, you have a little bit more insight in regard to Shamgar and what was going on. And what kind of oppression you know, that they were dealing with. When it says, in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, and in the days of Jael. And we're going to talk a little bit about her in a moment. The highways were deserted and the travelers went by roundabout ways. So, what does that imply? In the days of Shamgar and in the days of, of Jael, it talks about the travelers and what's going on here. Bandits, yes. And basically, you, you, you know, and so it wasn't safe. It wasn't safe for the Israelites to basically travel you know, the roads. To, uh, to go by the thoroughways that would normally have been used because of these various forms of oppression. And so you know, it was dangerous for them to be traveling. And so if they needed to get from one place to another, they went a roundabout way. They, they didn't go on the main, on, on the main path because you know, there would have been oppressors who, who perhaps would have attacked them. And so that kind of gives us a little insight to the idea of Shamgar, who is dealing with the Philistines? Now, the Philistines are that coastal nation in the south, and, and so he would have, you know, so he's dealing with that those oppressors in the south that also would have been, uh, in the sense causing, you know, the trade routes and the roads that they normally used uh, to be a dangerous thing for the Israelites. That they would have been attacked, they would have been robbed, they could have been mistreated. You know, we're not told specifically what was going on, but we're told that in the days of Shamgar and in the days of jail, you've got somewhat of an overlapping of a theme here, it wasn't safe for you to travel. And so you kind of see an aspect of the oppression, you know, where, you know, you could be out on your own, perhaps, you know, minding your own business. And you could have been caught. You could have been mistreated. You could have been beaten. You could have been robbed. We don't know. It could have been anything that could have happened to you on these roads. And so Shamgar is used by by God. He is God's instrument here to provide some deliverance from the hands of the Philistines. And now... The question that, you know, we really don't know definitively what the answer, was this a, a one-time attack, or he killed 600 men in one day? Or could this have been over a series of, of efforts? And either, you know, like either way. God could, do, could use him in one day. You know, it's not beyond God's power to, to, to give Shamgar the ability and, and the opportunity to basically in one day you know, defeat 600 men. Or he could have done it over some days, several days, where he is protecting the roadway, he's protecting the the trade routes on that that, uh, western side uh, of of Judah. And so we just don't know. But the point is, God preserves us this quick account of one of his servants, one of his deliverers who he used to provide safety for his people, it is then when we pick up primarily where the lesson tonight, and that is you, you get into the story of Deborah, uh, where it starts in chapter four, verse one, and basically again, Israel is doing evil. Uh, and I think to me, it's striking when you just think of the idea when it says, there, then the sons of Israel again, so this is not the first time, again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Have you ever thought about that expression you know, to basically do it right in front of you? You know, uh, and, and, that, and that's a repeated statement. They kept doing this, doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, nothing's hidden from God. We know that. But there's a point where we need to see the impact of the boldness of their stubbornness, the boldness of their disobedience and their arrogance to forget God, to forget the law, to forget the covenant, and to go right back into the things that they have done previously. And so it says they did it again after the death of Ehud. And so it says in verse 2, that the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of the Canaan. So was it, was it the fact that you know, you know, God was too weak to protect them? No. You know, God wasn't too weak to protect his people. No, because they again did evil in his sight, the Lord, their redeemer, their protector... Their sustainer, you know, sold them into the hands of the Canaanites, and that involved also a, a commander by the name of Sis, Sisera, and and so after a period of time, you know, it's, you know, is you know the sons of Israel, the nation is going to cry out to the Lord for deliverance. But this time, it's interesting to think about. Okay, the period of oppression has, you know inched up a little bit more. It was eight years you know, uh, under Mesopotamia, and then you had 18 years under the hand of the Moabites. Now it's 20 years. 20 years under the hand of the Canaanites, under the rule of this king, Jabin. And one of the things I tried to stress last week is through all of this, as you're reading these accounts and you're seeing the events unfold, you know, what we need to remember every time is that God is being faithful to what he said. God is being faithful to his promises. God is being faithful in regard to carrying out the warnings he said he would carry out if they did evil, if they turned away. You know, so God was very clear, very plain. You know, in the, when he gave the covenant, when he made the law, very, you know, very specific and saying, if you do well, if you obey me, I will bless you in all these different ways. But if you start doing these things, and he goes down the list of different ways, you know, that they could sin against him and violate the covenant. that And he says, and these things are going to start happening to you. And so that's exactly what's happening in the book of Judges. You know, God you know, is their God. He is, you know. He is their father as well, and he's keeping his word to his children. He's being consistent and honest and truthful and trustworthy all along the way. And so yes, as terrible as it may sound to so many, God's being trustworthy even in the way he disciplines his people, his nation. And I find it interesting that uh, when it talks about the, the oppression of the Canaanites there in verse three, what, you know, what's the what's the a- adverb or adjective you know that is used to describe the uh, the oppression or how they are being oppressed? You know, we may have some different words here. Mine says severely. Anybody have a different one? Huh? Violently. Oh, mightily. Sorry. Harshly. And so it's the thing about, you know, so the oppressions already have been bad. <laughs> but now, because they're doing evil again in the sight of the Lord, you know, you know, the sin is not lessening. The sin is growing. And so God brings these oppressors in, you know, through the nation of, uh, of the Canaanites, which was one of the nations that were conquered or subjected or driven out of the promised land, under the leadership of Joshua because of God's power. And so now they're entering back and they're they're a problem to God's people. And so God says, now it's severe. You know, you thought it was bad previously? Now it's severe. It is harsh. It it is a mighty oppression that God is allowing them to inflict upon his children you know, because God wants them to learn from their mistakes. God wants them to return to him. God wants them to not go back into the sins that they have been committing. And so at this time, we're told that, okay, you've got the oppression that has set in. And in verse 4, it says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidus, was judging Israel at that time. And she used to sit under this palm tree between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim and the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. And it seems it to be that she was already you know, you know, serving as a judge, not so much as a deliverer yet, but she is serving as a role of a judge, as one who is to discern and make decisions regarding the concerns that Israelites might have. And so they'd bring you know, their problems, they'd bring their cares, they'd bring their troubles to Deborah, you know, who was a, pro- a prophetess of God, and she would you know, make judgment on their behalf. And so that's going on. You know, at some point, you know, it seems to be at the latter part of this oppression, uh, and, and so they have one who is speaking you know, for God. When you think about it, you know, what, what does it mean to be a prophet or a prophetess? Well, basically, it's a messenger. It's one who proclaims God's message, one who has received a message from God. Basically, God has put words into that individual's mouth, and they then you know, relay that message, relay God's words to whoever it was sent. And that's what Deborah was. Deborah was a prophetess. And because she was a prophetess, she is now serving as a judge and making judgments on behalf of her fellow kinsmen. And, and so what we find is that, okay, Deborah then calls Barak to the scene. And it's not so much Deborah doing, it's God calling Barak through Deborah and so in verse 6 and following, we begin to see this idea of, okay, now Deborah's been serving as a judge, you know, you know, as a prophetess in the land of Israel, you know, serving there in the hill country of Ephraim, you know, that's where she is carrying out her work, you know, for God's cause, and she is instructed to send for Barak, summon him, and give him instruction about preparing for battle. And so, you know, she does that. Verse 6, and it says, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded. You know, so this is is not Deborah's command. This is God. so he said, first of all, Barak. So Barak comes, you know, to Deborah, and he's come from Kedish Naphtali, which would, as you, if you're looking up on the screen, it is you know, there you know, uh, on this, you know, to believe around the southern portion of the Sea of Galilee is where Kedish Naphtali would have been. Uh, and so that's where you know, he has come from. He's, so he travels down you know, down to, into Ephraim uh, in the south. And so it's not even on the map. And so he comes down where you know, Deborah would have been. I can go back a little bit here. Let's do this. There you're going kind of see. So he comes down from, from the, the Sea of Galilee down to the hill country of, of, of Ephraim there at Bethel and Ramah and to, to meet with Deborah and hear what Deborah has to say from God. And he says, well, first of all, she says, the Lord has commanded you. You know, what I'm about to tell you is the Lord's commandment. And the commandment was, he says, okay, uh, Barak, what you need to do, you need to go march to Mount Tabor. You take with you 10,000 men from two tribes, and because God says, I will draw out to you Sisera, and I will give him into your hand. Why, why was victory a certainty here? It's because of God, yes. It's not because of Barak, it's because God has heard cries. And God now is answering those cries and God has communicated his, his, his command, his request, his instruction through Deborah, the prophetess, to Barak. Barak was the one who was chosen by God to be the leader of an army of Israel to go up, get, up against the Canaanites, you know, the commander Sisera, who had 900 chariots. In the days, in the ancient times, you know, what was a chariot like to us? What would you compare a chariot to? to huh? A tank, maybe. You know, maybe there may be something even you know, bigger and more powerful than that now that, you know, you know goes across the land. But you think, if you, are, if you are occupied, you know, by a foreign power that is greater than you at this moment, and one of the things that's present in your, in, all around you is 900 tanks. And you, you go you go out in, into into your territory, and there is just tanks everywhere. Yeah, yeah, pretty fearful, isn't it? And so so that's the force that's the force that Barak is being instructed to go up against. He says, God has commanded you. You know, God's going to draw out Sisera, and God's going to give him into your hand. And so you think so you think about this idea. You know, God. In answering Israel's cries, was also at the same time holding Canaanites now accountable for the severity of the oppression they inflicted. Now God sent them; God allowed them to come into the land, you know, and to oppress His people, so they would be humbled and turn back to Him. So God, yes, was using the Canaanites as an instrument of chastisement and discipline, and so. But now He's going to turn around; His children have turned back to Him. He is answering those cries, and so now he's going to hold that nation accountable for how they have severely oppressed his people. And as you, as you know in your reading, there is some hesitancy you know, you know, you know, with Barak. Oh, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of unwillingness. We need to be careful in how, how quickly we may try to label Barak here. You know, but you know, you know, what... What would you say what would you say the response of Barak to this instruction God's commanded you God is drawing out the, the commander Sisera and God's giving him into your hand take this army and go to Mount Tabor And Barak his response is well if you go with me then I'll go And so you know what does what do you think Barak's response however you want to describe that what does that say about his confidence to succeed Say it again. Okay, hesitant. You wanna add, add something else to that? How, maybe someone wants to describe it a little bit differently. Bruce? Yes, and so and, and I, and I think we could appreciate that. You know, he knows De- Deborah is, in a sense, he, she, is, she is God's voice at the time. You know, she is God's prophetess. And so, you know, wanting God's servant with you is not an unwise, bad, you know, suggestion. Yeah. Anybody else want to ask it? Alan? Okay, The writer does not have enough time to talk about the faith of Barak and others. And so it's, it's possible that he is hesitant to do it one way but is absolutely convinced to do it a different way with right. her. Yes. And I had jotted that down, you know, because sometimes we may be quick to say, oh, there's a lack of faith. And maybe there is a degree of, of faith is somewhat wavering. We don't know. We can't read Barak's heart. All we know is what he said here. Yeah, and, and so we must be careful. You know, but Hebrews does put Barak in the list of, of heroes of faith, whom God used to do great things, uh, And 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 when it talks about like Barak and Gideon and Jephthah, you know, so he's right there in that list of different names. And it goes on to start describing some of the things they did, you know, shutting mouth, the mouths of lions, uh, you, know, you know, conquering armies, you know. And so, you see, faith is commended in Hebrews 11 when it comes to Barak. Sam, you had something to say. It sounds to me like he's got a little bit more faith in her than he does in what she said. And it it may not be that he he doesn't believe her. It's just that he feels like she's a prophetess. I really want her there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you, you, so we we struggle to try to kind of you know, you know understand fully Barak, you know, but he is you know he is God's chosen you know commander to be to lead the army of Israel, and 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 so yes he says if you'll go with me I will go and so and so yeah you know, yeah you know, is it a lack of faith is it a hesitancy you know, we don't you know, know for sure, but because of of how he does react, you know, Deborah. Then responds, he says, he basically says, well, I'll go with you. But it's not going to turn out, you know, the way you think it's going to turn out. And because now, you know, you know, you know what God's going to do, God is going to, he says, you remember earlier he just, he says, God's going to give Sisera into your hand. As we said, God says, I command you, I'm drawing them out. I'm going to put them in the right place at the right time, so you can win this, then you can win this battle. You can defeat this, this, you know, this enemy. And I am giving him into your hand. And of course, then Barak's response, and however we, we judge that, you know, and, but the, and so Deborah then responds to that He says, okay, I will go with you, you know. And he says, but the honor is not gonna go to you. Yeah, you know, the honor of defeating Sisera is not gonna go to you, Barak. It would have been, you know, God was going to give him into your hand, but that, that honor is not going to go to you. It's going to go to a woman. Now, at this point, in verse 9, we don't know who that woman is. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, you know it's a, a, I would suggest it's a, it's a little bit of, of a rebuke. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, but we don't need to criticize, you know, you know Barak beyond, you know, what we... No, you know, we, we do need to you know, you know, be fair in our, our judgments you know, at this situation because you know, God is still going to give victory to Barak. You know, you know, so Barak is going to lead the army and they're going to win the battle. is just Sisera not going to be killed by Barak. And so he's not going to get the credit for that. And so now since he wouldn't go without a woman, you know, it's going to be a woman who will defeat Sisera personally. And so he does. He goes, you know, he goes up to the north, you know, as he's instructed there. Uh, and they go to Kadesh. He, he, you know, calls for his volunteers. And, uh, and we see that, you know, the volunteers of Zebulun and Naphtali they come. And he has an army of 10,000 people. You know, and that seems huge, you know. Yeah, but uh, in the Song of Deborah, when describing the condition of, of, of Israel, it says that there was not a sword or a spear in the hand of 40,000 know, men. And so Israel at this time was, was very ill-equipped. You know, where they should have had a, a, a greater you know, standing force. They didn't have it. They didn't, you know, they didn't have all of the, the, uh, the equipment that they, they, they you know, would have needed. But God says, all you need is 10,000. You get 10,000 men and I will, I will go with you. And so Barak does. And so Barak you know, accepts that challenge. Deborah goes with, with him. And sure enough, you've got an army of 10,000 people, uh, and, you know, and they go to Mount Tabor. And this, you know, this news gets to the commander Sisera, and so he calls his, you know, his army together, and he gets all 900 tanks, all 900 tanks, and he, he drives those chariots to the region of Mount Tabor where the battle Begins, and so you think about you know, you know you know high ground you know is is advantageous, and so that's where God puts puts uh, uh, you know, Barak and the army of Israel. You know this is located kind of uh, about the center of the plain of Jezreel, a very very rich you know, uh, region of the country. You know, near the foot of of this mountain is the beginning. Uh, of the Kishon River that flows westward into the Mediterranean Sea. And, and it's that, in that location where the battle begins. But I w- there's a couple phrases that I want, want you know, just to you know, pull out, you know, when basically Deborah then says, okay, we've got our army, you know, we're, we're positioned. And he says, okay, now get up and go. It's time, it's time to, go to go to war, time to go to battle in verse 14 of the, fourth, of the fourth chapter. He said, rise for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. And he says, behold, the Lord has gone out before you. He says, okay, okay get up, Barak, get your army, get up. It's time to go. It's time to march. Yeah. He says, because the Lord has gone out before you. The Lord, the, Lord, the Lord is already there. And so you, you, just, you need to follow the Lord now. This expression is not a new expression. It's an expression they used elsewhere you know, in association with the relationship of God with his people. For example, just a, a real quick couple examples. Turn to the, the book of Deuteronomy. We'll look one near the beginning of the book and one near the end. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, Chapter 9, if you just glance at verse 3, you're going to see that expression used as well. And so here's like you know, it's the generation that has come, that has grown up and come out of the wilderness. They're at the banks of the Jordan River, uh, getting ready and prepared to cross over into the promised land to conquer the land. Because why? Because the Lord is going to go before them. And so he says, verse 3, Moses is speaking. Know therefore today that it is the Lord your God who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and he will subdue them before you so that you may dry them out and destroy them quickly, just as the Lord has spoken to you. The reason why Israel is going to succeed in conquering and defeating nations that are greater and mightier than them is because the Lord God was going before them. And so you have that similar expression used again at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Moses is still the speaker. Uh, that nation is still at the banks of the Jordan. Look in chapter 31. Look at chapter 31, verse three again. Verse three. Uh, verse two, Moses talks about how old he is. Uh, he says, I'm not going with you yeah, yeah. And because the Lord has said, you're not crossing the Jordan River. And then verse three, he says, it is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you will disp- dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you just as the Lord has spoken. Now, as the, so the Lord's gonna go before the nation in, in, uh, when he was you know, using Joshua and the Lord's gonna go before you know, the nation here and you know, when he's using Barak? Does, does that dismiss the role you know, of the Israelite? Does it mean, oh, the Israelite, I don't have to do anything. The Lord's gone on. I, 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 can, I can sit back and just, you know, wait. Is that what this means? No. You know, you know the, God is going to lead you. God is going to be for you. And he's going to make it possible that you can defeat this force. If the Lord had not gone before them, Could they? No. If the Lord was not with them, they could not have won this battle. But because the Lord had gone out before them already, and so Deborah said, okay, the Lord has gone out. Get up, Barak. Get your army together. You you need to march down the mountain, and you need to face the enemy now. And so you see the role of the Lord in this battle, particularly in verse 15. Once again, here's, here's the, you know, this force of 900 chariots you know, rumbling across the land. You know, and so they're going to you know, you know, face head on now. You've got 10,000 know, uh, men on foot and you've got 900 tanks. You know, you know, and so they're going to they're gonna, you know, face each other here At the foot of Mount Tabor, and in verse 15 it says, The Lord routed or the Lord confused Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak, and Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. Now we're not told a whole lot, except because God went before them, because God routed or confused the enemy army, they were successful. They were successful with the sword they wielded because of how God's hand played in this, the role of God in all of this. I can't help but think about the scene that is briefly described here to us in in Deuteronomy, especially the idea of the Lord going before them and these chariots and then the the Lord making it such that those chariots and that army... You know, are beat. They're beaten. You know, by God's people, God's servants. Can help me think of a similar time when God went before the nation, in a sense, you know, routed or confused chariots and provided great deliverance. And you think about you know, the Egyptians. You know, and you think, you know, the fear. You know, here, the, here you got the Egyptian army rumbling across, you know, you know, the desert. And there they're at the shore of the Red Sea. You know, the people are scared, you know. And Moses basically says, you know, basis, you know just, just stand and watch. <laughs> just see what, what God's going to do. And of course, God divides the sea. He commands them to cross over. They all get across. You know, it's amazing how 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 perfect the timing was. That was no accident. That God got that nation that's migrating and you got different numbers that are you know, kind of thrown out yeah you, know, you know some say maybe around two million or more I mean we don't know but it's it's a lot of people it's not just several thousand it's a lot of people and God gets them across the uh, you know the sea on dry ground and at the right moment when all those chariots are in the sea. God steps in, and they don't go any farther. And I can't, behel- can't but see. There's a similarity here when you think about the force of 900 chariots coming against just 10,000 men on foot. Yeah. And, uh, and like I said, and these are all volunteers. Sam. Right. The chariots are where they need to be down low because that's where they, they do best. God called them to come down from where they would be safe. Mm hmm. Followed him down and he caused them to defeat. And this guy ends up running away on foot. He doesn't even have his chariot. Right. All over. Yes. So that's another thing to learn. <clears throat> may not seem like good tactics to you, but with God. Mm hmm. Right. Yes. You know, if 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 we follow God and we do it God's way, you know, when God's on our side, you know, who's against us, as the Holy Spirit, you know, teaches us in, in Paul's letter to the Romans. And and in this occasion, you know, in so many of these stories with the judges, when God chooses his deliverer, his servant, his messenger, you know, and when you're on God's side, there's victory. And, and to me, and, you, and the same thing, you think you've got this and it, and it keeps on reading it. And you, it basically says in verse 16, not even one was left. You think about, you know, we don't know how large the army was. All we know is how many tanks, how many chariots he has. That's all we know. You know, you it's a guess on, on the number of men. But he says there wasn't a single person alive when this battle was over on that side. You yeah. that's God at work. That is God at work. And we must never underestimate what God can do, not just in the past, but what God can still do when it's his will to accomplish something. And, and as, you, as we've tried to kind of, in the last five minutes, you know, start wrapping up you know, the story of Deborah and, and, and the great story you know, of God's power and God's faithfulness and even God's deliverance and his, his compassion, his care. Uh, you know, when you think about, okay, Sisera jumps out of his chariot, you know, and so it, it, I think it implies the chariot wasn't making progress. it's stuck or something, and he knows, well, I, I, am, I am in a bad spot. And, he, and it was interesting, when you, when you read it, he's running one direction when the army is going back the other direction. He's running the opposite direction away from his army. It says something to you about character, the character of Sisera at this, at this moment. And, of course, he runs to a place where he thinks is safe. There is a peaceful alliance or peaceful relationship between the family of Heber, who's a Kenite. This would be relatives of Moses' family. And so he runs in that direction, uh, which it's kind of toward the, the region of the Sea of Galilee, and and so Jael the wife of Heber sees him coming and she shrewdly very wisely provides him a hiding place you know provides him comfort provides him uh, you know milk to drink sustenance you know and now he asks her make you don't tell anybody you know I'm here you know but when he is sound asleep you know talking about a courageous woman. When he is sound asleep, she goes and finds a tent peg, a tent peg, and I'm guessing it's probably a little bigger than some of the tent pegs we use today. You know, and and a hammer, and I'm guessing it's it's not just one of these little hammers, (laughs) And, and and she wields that peg and that hammer and drives it, through the temple of his head. In the song, it describes her as smashing his temple. And so you have this valiant woman, a courageous woman, and who, it just becomes praise. So this is the servant. When, when Deborah says a woman is going to give the honor, God already knew who that woman was. God already knew. And I I think it's providence, I think it's providence that Heber moves his family to the north. How how many years before? I have no idea. And I think it's providence, now this is me being subjective, I know, but I think there's some providence at play here that there's there's an alliance, a peaceful relationship between Heber's family and the king of Jabin. So that when Sisera comes. Seeking refuge. Seeking safety. God's servant Jael. Becomes his instrument. Of defeat. And so it's just amazing to think about that idea. Of you know, what's a woman's role. And the, of the, and the valor of this woman. Uh, you know, I think of another woman. You know, when you think about the Jericho. You think of Jericho. What's the woman there that you know kind of stands out to us and shows such valor? Rahab, yes. She was a valiant woman who had a great faith in God and, and, and was able to risk her life, you know, for a greater cause. And so it's after the fact, you know, Barak is now following Sisera's trail, and the trail leads to. To you know, you know the tent of jail and, and basically basically says come on here, I've got the guy you're looking for, and he steps in and what does he see? He sees this great commander of a uh, of a mighty force. Head nailed to the ground. And jail did that. God gives victory. And he can do it in ways that sometimes even our own imagination cannot put all the pieces together. And that's what we have here. God gave Israel the victory. Now, he does so because they turn back to him. After years of of doing evil and dealing with oppression, they they are humbled and penitent and they, they cry out to God. And so God, in his compassion and mercy, you know, you know, again delivers them and ultimately defeats King Jabin. You see at the end of chapter 4, you know, and it, it may be suggesting that you know, there are some other series of battles going on. The, you know, so not only did the, the, they won the battle you know, against Sisera, but even later, Jabin himself is defeated. And then that leads into the song of Deborah. And there's a couple th- points I want to end with when I think about the song that basically tells the story in a very poetic and eloquent way. Uh, one is, you know, in the fir- as he introduces the song, it's basically it's a song where Deborah and Barak is calling you know, the people to praise God for his righteous deeds. And that's what this song's about. You know, praise God for what he has done, particularly what he has done in delivering them from the Canaanites and all the, uh, the unfolding of those events. And that was God's hand at work. It wasn't just the Israelites. They had a, a role to play and they need to be faithful in carrying out their role, God's expectations of them. But God's hand was at work there and that's what made it possible. But to me, it's interesting, in the first, first three verses, we start talking about you know, you know, Mount Seir and Mount Sinai and I can't help but think the same God The same God who caused Mount Sinai to quake back in the book of Exodus is the same God who defeated the Canaanites. God's hand was at work here. And so these songs are to be used to teach as well as to remember the power of God. And the song ends then, once again, talking about women's role. And, and the role they play. And, and, and it is a significant role in so many different ways. But in this, in, at the end of the song, it's a contrast. You've got you know, the, uh, a valiant woman in the character of Jael. But then you've got a longing mother in the character of Sisera's mother. Waiting for her son to come home. And he never will alive. And so now Israel rests for 40 years. Thank you very much for your attention. I should have moved this along here. (laughs) Appreciate your comments very much.